0: All right, cool. Um, So I think first things first, maybe uh, a quick sort of recap of where we're up to, where we think that there are some implications um, and and where we want to kind of dig into those implications. um, And then we can go into uh, what extending this ETH wrapper functionality would look like and, and you know, what the intention behind that is. And again, you know, maybe some of the implications and, and risks of that. So I think from my perspective, uh, the first thing to call out um, is we, we now have a situation where um, there's 175,000 ETH uh, backing some forms of synths um, in the debt pool. Um, and as I think we sort of anticipated at the time uh, when that was being launched, um, it would create uh, some sort of second order effects for uh, the the Deadpool skew. And we've seen that. Um, so we now have a situation where the the Deadpool skew on 8th is negative, um, the exact <laughs> Magnitude of that negativity, I think, uh, is maybe um, something that we want to drill into um, and and kind of understand a little bit more clearly, um, and particularly how to uh, surface that um, for stakers to allow them to to manage their skew. But I think that the primary goal of the ETH wrapper uh, has has been achieved, which is you know to tighten the the peg. Um, and increase the supply of synths that are out there. Um, I think another point to mention is that because of the way that the ether wrapper works and because of the way that um, the arbitrage cycle works between all of these various curve pools, there are some implications that I think we need to dig into in terms of how those curve pools interact with one another. Um, particularly with respect to like liquidity of the other assets within those pools, right? So we've seen some weird stuff happen um with like the Euros stablecoin, um, which is not sufficiently liquid to be arbable. So you've got this odd situation where uh there's more S Euro uh than than Euros and um in that pool, um, which you know sort of implies that the the euro peg is like under um, the, the S euro peg is under um, one euro, um, but then conversely, in the BTC pool, I think that's got the biggest skew, if I'm not mistaken, um, against uh, um, sBTC versus RenBTC and and RAP BTC, which implies um, obviously that uh, there, you know, sBTC is over the BTC peg um, by, you know maybe 150 basis points or something like that so all of these things are i guess comprehensible but we just need to kind of dig through what exactly the the implications of these arbitrage cycles are and what the next steps in this process look like particularly um, when it comes to whether or not we expand the ETH wrapper. So I think we know a couple of things. One, if we expand the ETH wrapper um, and raise the cap from 175k to 250k, which was on the table at one point a few weeks ago, I think what we'll see is that you know the magnitude of the, the skew, uh,
1: the negative skew on ETH will increase. Um, but we, I think have other options um, in terms of how we could potentially
0: uh, reduce the, the undersupply because we're still in a situation where there isn't sufficient supply um, of uh, since to fill up those pools, even though we've got that weird issue with the euro pool. Um, you know, we're still, uh, last I checked um, last night, we were, you know, maybe 50 or or $100 million uh, um, undersupplied across those curve pools. So that's that's kind of from my perspective, the state. I don't know if you guys have any other uh, thoughts on on the current
1: state of the system with respect to the the wrapper and and the curve, various curve pools.
2: I think just the other comment I would make is that we have a lot of other demand for sense coming up along the pipeline. So we also have to think about that, not just filling curve pools, but you know we're Fair. Have these yeah new projects building on top of us. We're gonna have Potentially a bunch of S and X moving to L two, which will further decrease the SUSD supply. One, so yeah, yeah I yeah, think this agreed. is a problem we need to really dig into.
1: Agreed. And I,
0: I guess what I would say is, in absence of a more optimal solution, um, you know, there needs to be some sort of breakpoint whereby if the peg starts to creep up again towards, you know. Uh, Two or 300 basis points above, uh, above par, that realistically the only solution is going to be, I think increasing the, the existing ETH wrapper. Uh, that's kind of the only lever that we have right now, um, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know if that's your, your perspective, but it seems to me that that's the case.
2: Without deploying new contracts, I think pretty much the only thing we can do is ETH wrapper or lower C ratio. And 400% yeah. is already pushing
1: it for me, so
0: I wouldn't want to. Well, it's not, <laughs> we're not at 400% yet. Last time I checked, uh, at least I didn't. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, I know. But it sounds
1: like we that might, is... we might.
0: We might get it out, out of the way today. We'll see, we'll see. But yeah, agreed, 100% agree. I think we've we've exhausted, uh, or will soon, exhaust the C-Ratio, um, and realistically, 450 to 400 is not going to move the dial um, in terms of, uh in terms of the the peg deficit um i have a little uh here one second um i kind of use this daily to
1: to check on this i'll drop it into the gov call chat uh which let me just make sure i know where i'm starting from here uh, yeah okay yeah uh No, I didn't get the links. That's annoying. Um, One sec, let me drop these links in. Evernote is not working with me here on these
0: links. I just have to open them up. By the way, thanks for the heads up on uh, etherscan um, dark mode. My eyeballs uh, were much happier last night at 1 AM when I was trolling through etherscan things, not having blinding white light find into them. Yeah, so looking at uh looking at SUSD um
1: we're about twenty-five million uh under. Um I'm just dropping these links in here. There we go. Um, and we are about two hundred million give or take under. Um, on the ETH, eighth, SETH eighth pool.
0: Um, which, yeah, like again, the, the C ratio dropping is,
1: is just not going to move the dial on that, unfortunately. Um, uh, we're 50 million over on
0: S-euro. Um, and we can talk about that a little bit more, about some ways that we could potentially alleviate that problem. Burning that pool to the ground would be one solution. Um, and then on BTC... It looks like we are about fifty million under. Um, so yeah, just I think collectively, there's an undersupply. that's um, just not going to be able to be addressed uh, without that ETH wrapper in the short term, um, unless we uh, we deploy something else. So one of the proposed solutions um, that we've been discussing in the chat is uh, a stablecoin wrapper, combined stablecoin wrapper and stablecoin uh synth um that would allow us to uh to use that as collateral um without impacting the skew um now afif i don't know if you have any thoughts about this i think both of you guys are leaning towards lusd um as that stable coin if we were to do that can do you would you mind just i guess giving us a bit of a, a background on why you think that that's the best choice
3: uh i mean spree can give his own reasons personally i i i am against I for the obvious reasons i don't like how much centralized collateral they have like 60 to 70 percent and i think lusd is a lot larger and has a pretty stable liquidation mechanism compared to rye so i would prefer it over rye for that but again like Spreek said it also it does it's not very liquid on exchanges and it, it might not have this efficient arbitrage mechanisms and it does frequently trade above peg, so it might not be a viable solution either.
1: And Spreek, your concern with uh,
0: LUSD trading above the peg um, in terms of the two approaches that we could take, one which would be just minting at, at par and, and treating them as equal, um, which has implications and the other uh, minting, um, like an a, a S LUSD uh, synth that has its own Oracle. Can you just walk through the, the two kind of trade-offs there?
2: Yeah, sure. So as you said, those are basically the two main approaches. If you do one-to-one minting, so that's if like I deposit one LUSD and I get one SUSD out. Um, There's a couple of downsides to that, but the the major one is that if LUSD is way above PEG, like even more above PEG than SUSD, then it's kind of pointless because no one's going to
1: bother minting. So
2: if we think that LUSD is frequently unstable, which it seems like, I think when I checked earlier, it was like 1.02, So Mm. no one would bother minting with it now, right? That's the way we did it. then the other issue with doing that is that the value of the collateral is then sort of untethered from the system in terms of debt calculation. Yep. So what you would like is for the stakers to always take on the Delta between like the value of the collateral and the value of the synths. So you want to be able to change their debt if the price of LUSD dropped by 50% or whatever. But if you did one-to-one, then you wouldn't be able to do that. At least not easily.
1: Yeah, yeah. W- without some
0: changes to how the debt calculation works. So the alternative then would be uh, you have a, an LUSD oracle that we get chain link to provision. Um, you would Uh, get a one-to-one wrapping of LUSD into SLUSD um, and then could trade that SLUSD
1: into SUSD, um, presumably.
2: Yeah, so that would be the other option. But there's a couple of issues with that as well, of course. I think, like, the major one that we would have to worry about is, like, could the Oracle be manipulated in some way? Yeah. Because like Afif was saying, LUSD isn't liquid on centralized exchanges. So Mm. we might run into the same issue of like, the thing that only trades on Dex potentially not playing so nice. Yeah. So I guess my
0: question, surely there's a, yeah, sorry, go. go.
2: Yeah, sorry. um, The other issue is that, like, if someone, the price of LUSD is 1.05 or whatever, we expect it to converge, then someone could just mint a whole ton of SLUSD and dump it all on us, and then we're left holding the back. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, because stakers are going to take the the other side of that trade.
0: <clears throat> so, presumably, there's some arbitrage cycle uh, that exists, um, which you know maybe isn't hyper efficient um, with uh, with LUSD um, if it gets up to 105 or something like that. So, like, I guess there's like the natural drift away from the peg, which is one thing. Um, but I do wonder whether there is some tighter arbitrage cycle if someone's like genuinely bidding it up, right? If if people would step into mint and, and sell into that, um, obviously with Chainlink we don't have to worry about flash loans. Um, but you know, if there's only liquidity on uh, Uniswap or something like that, uh, you know, or wherever wherever it is, then you know people could uh, sort of you know transiently push it up to one ten or one twenty or something like that. I just I I wonder how how. Yeah, how efficient is that arbitrage cycle that that people would step in to try and correct that artificial misalignment versus like a just a, a supply misalignment that we see now?
2: I'm not totally an expert, but I believe that like the way the liquidation works is like the penalty is ten percent, so it's unlikely that um, it would go above one point one because right. It would just. It would make sense to just mint, and you basically get to free roll on.
1: Yeah. yeah. Getting liquidated. But obviously, so, another, a ten percent loss is a problem. So.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, that's not that's not reasonable. So, one other question for you, um, if if you've thought about this, um, you know, obviously with SUSD within the system, we treat SUSD as one. Right, like it's it's always assumed to be one. We don't uh, we do factor in uh, any drift off the peg in external markets. Is there any immediate implication if we have other stablecoins since that we are, you know, tracking an external price of uh, that, therefore, you know, could be trading at par with SUSD? I'm just not sure what the what the arbitrage cycle implications are that if if we're treating susd as one but it's actually trading at 102 and lusd is also trading at 102 and therefore they're at par uh in curve but
1: you know maybe off the peg against usdc Um, have you thought at all about whether that puts us at, at risk in some way
3: I think it would be a big risk if they were below peg. I'm not sure if it's above peg, if it's as big of a risk. Right. Because I guess if it was below peg, you could just, like, infinite SUSD with your
1: LUSD sent. Yeah, interesting. But, I mean, presumably
0: that would, that would correct itself, right? Like, that's not, um, like, that arbitrage cycle would, would just correct itself i'm just trying to i need to just think through what the steps there
1: would be so if they're both below peg and we're treating it as one uh
0: internal to the system uh then the only way i think that you'd be able to arbitrage it is if you had previously minted and and against your like l usd or, or whatever and got an susd and now we're able to like reverse that cycle the same situation that we kind of got with the with the eth wrapper now where like the only way that this is going to get unwound this 175,000 uh ETH that's sitting in there is if uh we have an oversupply the people
1: who wrapped the eth will be able to unwrap it uh for a profit
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think right. I'm. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I, I think I think that's right. I don't think, in general, that it's that big of an issue. The whole if we have another synth for SLUSD or whatever, I don't it, think it it's that big. Of, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's that big of an issue because, like, we could have S whatever, and as long as that's like a real market price, I think the system yeah. would still work correctly.
0: Yeah, Great. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Um I think so as well. I don't think I don't think there's any sort of I don't think there's any cycle. Uh it just feels weird, right? Because we're treating our stable coin as one within the system, right? But then um, you know, we've got these other stable coins that are but I it's the same thing as, you know, like the ETH ratio, ETH to SUSD ratio, right? Like it, it doesn't create um any issues. It either gets opt out or or you know. Stays kind of inefficiently uh, drifting away from the peg. Um, okay, cool. So,
1: LUSD, I guess, like to provision an oracle. There, we can talk to Chainlink
0: and ask them if that's something that they'd be open to. Um, I guess we need to do an assessment of uh, of the liquidity risk for LUSD. Um, am I Am I right in in saying that you said there's about 200 million in supply? Is there any supply cap or anything like that? Because this could very well put some pressure on the. the LUSD. There's 750 million, I believe. I'm not sure on okay. cap. All right. Okay. Well, yeah. So it sounds like there's there's plenty of supply. Um, so okay. So that that's definitely an option is to to issue um, LUSD. and. Now, okay. Let's assume for let's put aside the risks and and you know doing a feasibility assessment of of that process of issuing that and and creating a new wrapper for um, LUSUSD. Um, so, the implications for
1: the current debt pool skew are twofold in my mind. Right, the two immediate things that
0: that come to mind are um, one primary cycle is just going to be people using l to fill the current uh, gap right of whatever it is hundred million or something like that right but I think once we get to equilibrium but assuming we do assuming that there's sufficient uh, um, demand for people wrapping this to to ob this out um, and that you know the transaction costs are are not um, significant enough to you know, prevent that from getting to equilibrium. But let's assume the equilibrium is is at one exactly one or whatever. Then we have an interesting dynamic whereby the cost of capital differential between the ETH wrapper and the LSUSD wrapper will have an impact on the skew. If I'm not wrong, right? So, like, if for example there like some exogenous demand for ETH increases, I don't know what that would be, maybe like,
1: uh, um, you know, L, like uh, ETH2 going, lo- I don't know,
0: so, something, some reason why people, uh, you know, the there's uh, the risk-free rate on, on ETH goes up, um, you know, significantly enough. Uh, it could cause a situation where people are pulling out ETH and the ETH wrapper to go and deploy it somewhere else. Um, which would then mean that you would probably have um, LUSD replacing that and, and people arbing that. I don't know that that, and obviously the, the skew, the the, sh- the short skew and the debt pool would, would shift um, probably back to neutral. Um, I don't know that there's any like huge concern with that, but I'm just kind of curious if, if you guys kind of agree with that reasoning that we would have, this interesting dynamic where um, you've got these two kind of
1: mechanisms to to, um, to fill that supply
3: gap yeah, I think it can only help in that regard. I think it, it, yeah, it's either neutral or it, it it's opposing the wrapper. and if the skew gets too long we we just add the wrapper, uh, increase the
1: wrapper gap, yeah, interesting. So, so here's a question for you, um, just around like the likelihood of
0: this actually successfully being utilized. We already have a way for people to uh, lock a and issue SUSD, right? And that's not happening. Um, like people are not
1: taking advantage of that to to arbitrage this uh, this differential. What what sort of
0: What's your assessment of why that isn't happening and this uh, LUSD solution would be more likely to be utilized?
3: I just thought nobody used that because it's not as capital efficient. And so this is like, this is a lot more efficient in terms of, yeah, you're talking about loans, right?
0: Yeah, loans, like you you can borrow SUSD against ETH right now, which is what LUSD is effectively right like there's there's some i don't know what's the what's the c ratio on l uh 110
2: because they have
3: like a. it's it's complicated
2: it's complicated it's complicated of course it is okay if if you're below Um, 150 percent, a portion of your collateral can be liquidated in some circumstances
1: okay
0: interesting okay so i guess just from a capital efficiency perspective if we're not seeing people taking advantage of uh just borrowing SUSD against ETH right now. Why do we think that they would do it by, just because there's exists supply of LUSD out in the market and like it doesn't have much of a use? Like, is there some like burr process that's called, like why is there $750 million worth of LUSD
2: out there? Yeah, it's because they're printing governance tokens. (laughs) That's what I figured, okay. And also I think think that people like their liquidation system. interesting. It, okay. But I mean interestingly
0: like, like as, a, as a leverage process, right? Like it's fairly inefficient. Like it has to just be the burr, right? It can't be because if it's not liquid enough, then it's not like you can get some huge amount of leverage from doing that and then buying more ETH or whatever people are doing presumably.
2: I mean, it's reasonably I liquid. That. I think they have a curve pool, okay. like a Uniswap pool. Oh, I just okay. All right. I, I just I'm a little bit worried about like the DEX only sort of thing and also mm. I mean like what if they raise the burr, or what if they do something wacky with governance I mean yeah. it's a little bit yep. um, concerning in that respect but I think the other reason why people don't use our loans is that uh, the UX is a big problem <laughs> it's kind of a disaster as we've discussed in the past so obviously yeah. we can hope that that improves but
0: Interesting, okay, but I mean, presumably like there are, there are you know uh, sophisticated market participants out there, right who you know for whom the UX is not an impediment, like surely, right? like you know there has to be some capital efficiency issue, right like if they're if you know I mean cl- very clearly, right if they're if they're distributing governance tokens for people to uh, to you know mint this, we can't compete with that unless we start paying people. Uh, SNX to to borrow USD against their um, against their ETH. Uh, that would be the only way. And presumably, we can't compete with the the APY that they're pushing out. I don't know what it is, but I'm I'm assuming it's you know somewhere on the order of like twenty,
1: thirty percent or something like that.
2: Yeah, I can look into it. But I mean, all it takes is for the price of LUSD to be favorable. Relative to mm. SUSD. Yeah. If we have an Oracle, like it's just going to be profitable for somebody to buy up a bunch of LUSD, wrap it into yep. LUSD and then swap it in to SUSD. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter except that, like I said, you know, if somebody does that and LUSD is trading at 1.05 mm. and it later goes to one or less, yeah. hopefully not. Yep. But Miners would be on the hook for that then. So maybe yeah, that's an acceptable okay. risk, maybe not. Mm. The one nice thing about LUSD though is that um, the redeemability of it is pretty, pretty good. Like it's unlikely to trade below one, because you can yeah, get, you can go redeem it for one dollar each. So the problem, yeah, of course, it. is that, that there's nothing to stop it from trading much above one besides like right. the 1.1 1. 1
1: constraint yeah. that I
0: mentioned. Yeah, maybe they'll throw some uh, USDC in there to get it down. <laughs> <Good thing.
2: laughs> yeah, that seems to be the answer everyone ends up with.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, okay, all right, cool. So, so um, you know, presumably the way to mitigate the risk here is, you know, I think, like my ballpark number was, we've got a shortfall of, you know, somewhere on the order of 100, 150 million, or something like that, um, that we need to 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 close out. So, you know, if we started with a 10 or 20 million dollar uh, cap, we could get a pretty good sense, I think, fairly quickly, of what like the the empirical data is showing us about the efficiency of, of that arbitrage cycle in in terms of buying up LUSD and wrapping it and then arbing it. Into
2: yeah. One thing I would mention though is that we sort of have an issue with induced demand, where once we get back to one, there'll probably be more demand for cents. That's what happened with the ETH wrapper. Like we got down to one, and then everybody yeah, was like, like "Oh, uh, look, party time! <laughs> We're back at one. Time to buy up all the cents and eat some yeah. worker for."
0: Yeah, I know, right? I mean, which you know, again, like presumably uh presumably there's another mechanism which you know I alluded to which is like trying to fix uh some of the inefficiency in, in the um the uh SUST um, loans process, right? Like like I agree with you that you know it is it, it is definitely made uh, probably maximally inefficient by the the kind of way we've implemented a number of things. I mean, I guess you know. Another question would be like, can we increase the capital efficiency of that in some way? Like, are our liquidations sufficiently um, effective? I mean, <laughs> I know from getting liquidated the other day, it seems to be fairly efficient. The liquidations seem to. I think now well. that Caleb has um,
2: leaked all the alpha to the flashbot, the
0: flashbots guys, yeah, they seem to be on top of it. So I guess you know, like right now we're sitting at 130. I wonder whether or not. Uh, you know, lowering that ratio down to 110 or something like that would not be, um, you know,
2: Well, if we, um, what's the status on those? I think we had a a set for like collapsible loans and collapsible shorts. Mm, Are we anywhere near that? Because that would really help, I think. Because if you have that, then you don't have to worry much about liquidations because it just, it all goes on the mentors and the liquidations are yeah. very efficient it's just like you call one function and the, mm. the position is liquidated and just goes
1: flat
0: yeah i don't i don't know what the status of that is um my guess would be that it is in a holding pattern i don't know of any core contributor that is doing a feasibility study of that right now um a thief i don't know if you are aware of that's I haven't heard it mentioned.
2: And, and I want to say Jackson out. was working on it, so probably yeah. that's an yeah, issue. Well,
0: all right. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Um, yeah. So he's he's going to be back in a week from Coney leave, so um, yeah. yeah, we'll see. Um, uh, also, just on on the kind of engineering resource front uh we have another three solidity engineers who are starting in the next like week or so um so the the v2x uh roadmap is going to start getting chipped away at um collapsible loans were not on that but fixing all of the loans in totality is so. If collapsible loans are, are kind of rolled into that process, then you know we could potentially try and push that out. But that's all going to be part of the B two X scope, I, I think. Is just getting getting uh,
1: the existing loan system all under a single mechanism, which we're getting closer to. You know, uh, detaching the, uh, the all the old trial loans and all that sort of stuff. But there's a bit of work. There's a bit more work to get that
0: done. And then, obviously, enabling uh, new shorting on different assets. Uh, one other thing which we haven't talked about, um, is that, that people brought up is uh, the link
1: wrapper. You know, we yeah. do we do have a we do have
0: a positive skew on link due to the link pool um, in Curve. Uh, uh, it may not be the worst idea in the world to to. You know, it's pretty easy to roll out. We already have the feeds, like there's already an S link. Um, uh, you know, it would it would obviously uh skew the pool negative again, um, because obviously we have that like beta correlation with the rest of the pool where link is, I think, 50 million or 100 million or whatever, uh, positively skewed. But, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you guys have any thoughts on that?
3: I like it. I just it all it will increase the urgency for having to, if you lose all that long exposure in the debt pool, then you really will have to hedge delta negative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I mean, if we
2: also have, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say the other implication of the the S-link wrapper is that it's effectively a way to short link via the system. So we have to think about, because right now we only support shorts on SBTC and-
1: True. I see.
2: So I think it would be okay, given, you know, the Oracle is pretty strong on Link. Um,
1: Yeah. Who
0: would be crazy enough to short Link?
2: (laughs) You might have a few takers on it, but...
3: I mean, we wouldn't go, like, much higher than, like, $50 million of Link in that wrapper, right? Yeah, But I don't know that we're really offering too much opportunity...
0: Yeah, I think like 10, 10 mil and 10 mil increments would be like a good starting point. The nice thing about the link wrapper is, again, like just in terms of uh, kind of go to market speed, it's, it's probably the fastest thing we can do, I would imagine. Um, you know, the contracts exist. Uh, they've been audited. You know, it's literally just making
1: a change to which assets and oracles it's pointing at. Um, it would take, you know, probably a few days work, I would imagine. Oh, so
2: I think the link Marines would like it. So <laughs> that's a plus. I think yeah, you might sure. not get a lot of, it might end up all staying in the curve pool where, you know, people just- I,
0: I suspect that is probably the case, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the reality is, right, you have, like it may not even get obbed out that much. Um, well, actually the one, the pool that I didn't list there was the, does anyone have the S Link, link pool in curve? Off the top, of your, can you drop that in the chat? Um, Cause I don't know what the skew on that pool is.
2: Um, it's some um, 6 assuming... million link and 2.5 million S link. Yeah, okay, so there's a bit of a skew there as well. Um, so it's like you get s link, every link. You yeah, put. right. Okay,
1: so that's another one where, um, where it would be helpful. Uh, close that out yeah i'm looking at that contract now okay um interesting yeah it's about 60 mil um under
0: under undercooked so yeah so in that case i mean i would imagine that would be very rapidly fixed if we if we um allowed for you know 10 million or something like that to uh it would be a good test as well um probably the, the fastest test that we could get out there. So this brings up another point though, if,
1: if, we've, if we've kind of exhausted those, uh, I guess, initial um, solutions. I think we
0: need, before we do any of these things, uh, and I know if, if you've been looking into this, but I think we really need to have a better uh, quantitative uh, model for the implications of the ETH wrapper across the various pools. Because as I pointed out in the chat uh, yesterday, there's a situation where it's not just that all of the ETH is being shorted, right? Um, We have that SETH coming in and being sold into multiple different assets. Um, So some is going into uh, S-Link, some is going into SBTC. Um, some is going into, there's another pool, uh, I think, that I'm forgetting. Uh, but you know, primarily, it's it's link uh, BTC and SUSD, right? So obviously, the, the SUSD one is, is fairly easy to reason about. Um, but what I don't have a strong sense of is how we can actually do an analysis of how much short exposure there is in the debt pool to the ETH BTC ratio, for example. So so like to do like a stylized example, right? If we had two pools that were equally skewed, right? The BTC pool and the SUSD pool, and you put in a bunch of SE to enable arbitrage um, and the pools are the same size, then 50% of that SE, you know, any incremental SE that you put in is going to be split between those pools to ARB, uh, you know, all things being equal, right? Um, the arbitrage plots are going to split that up equally. So you have 50% going to uh, effectively shorting ETH within the debt pool, um, and then 50% shorting the ETH BTC ratio. Uh, now, we don't know, as far as I'm aware, we don't have like a, a model for working out exactly what those numbers are right now, unless you put something together in the last twenty-four hours of faith.
3: No, I'm working on it um, with Daniel uh, on 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 modeling flows between the pools uh, since the ETH wrapper. Um, I should have that pretty soon.
0: And and so this is my question. Like, just intuitively, I'm I'm struggling to kind of understand whether there's like some sort of uh, like retroactive analysis that's required to understand the the previous flows or if like for any given point in time you can look at the debt pool and actually work out you know what the what these ratios are it feels like you should be able to do that but i i can't think of like an obviously good way of doing it right like we know um we know how much Sbtc there is in in the system, right? But given that we
1: only can say how much of the the S-Eth, uh, supply the stakers
0: are on the hook for versus the the eth wrapper and other and other loan mechanisms, I just I can't intuitively think of a, an obvious way to. Do that analysis of like how much SBTC was actually minted by stakers within the existing debt pool, and how much SBTC has come from the ETH wrapper arbitrage cycle. Have, have you guys? Do you guys have a sense of that? Of how how to do that analysis?
2: I don't think you have to. I'm not sure. I think you can just like look at the debt pool and then scale it by some factor for the leverage.
0: Right. Got it. It feels like that's that, sort of what ETH is doing. doing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I'll, I'll let you keep working on that and, and see where you come come back with. Because it would be fairly problematic if you needed to actually like go through the the arbitrage flow to you know actually work out what the the
1: current state was. That would be, I think, much more difficult.
3: Yeah. For sure. No. I mean, I, I am also doing that because well, I mean, right. I'm looking at the net change in the debt pool, but. One thing that I also like to follow is just the behavior of traders. And like and you can I like I, I've gone back and looked, you know, as soon as we as when we increase the cap on the wrapper by this amount, what what added the behavior of the traders on curve change? And there are a lot of right. patterns that you can discern just to understand the market. But yeah, like Spree said, like the big thing that we need is is just to understand the, the change in state on the debt pool. Um, yeah. that's the major insight there. Okay, cool. Okay.
1: Yeah. So you know, again, uh, like
0: it's not even clear to me what the hedging implication is. Like, let's say, you know, under that same stylized scenario, right? Like, you've now got a situation where, uh, you know, if there were no other synths in the system, uh, that let's say there was ten thousand dollars, right? Like, you've got five thousand dollars worth of short Okay, fine, but now you've got five thousand dollars worth of short ETH BTC ratio. Like, how? I mean, obviously you can go out and and actually do that trade and go and borrow somewhere and and short that that ratio uh, and and try and get that same level of open interest on on the ratio short. Um, but in terms of correlation between those two positions, can you? You know, is there some way that you can like just short ETH or something? Like, it's not clear to me that there's. Some, sort of, uh, I guess, approximation of that position that you could get to, um, you know, like we've kind of assumed uh, with the correlation of assets like Link and and what have you, right? Like you just rolled it up and said, you know, the overall debt pool is is this, I just don't have a good sense of what the implication is for the debt pool. Like if there's $20 million worth of, or $50 million worth of, of BTC short ratio tokens floating around in the debt pool, what does that mean?
3: yeah i mean i i think those numbers are just good to give you a sense for what your general exposure to the movements of the market is, but i mean if you I don't think you can hedge with just that without taking on a like just a different kind of market risk mm.
1: uh,
2: yeah, I wouldn't I, think in terms of ratios, I think it's easier if you just think in terms of like dollar amounts or absolute amounts because if you think about it like. If you're short $5,000 of ETH and you're long $2,000 of Bitcoin, it's kind of like you're long $2,000 of BTC ETH and then short $3,000 of ETH. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think we just need a way of kind of netting off those ratio trades, right, to to get a sense of, like, what is your actual exposure, long BTC or, or short ETH or whatever.
1: Yeah. Okay, cool.
0: Um, so, yeah, I mean, that to me, that process feels like it's, it's pretty important for us to do so that we can reason about the implications of this, but I think in parallel to that, um, I'm comfortable with the idea of uh, at least starting the process of, of feasibility on both the uh the link wrapper um, and an LUSD wrapper.
2: Yeah. Another question agree. I had on like a more macro level is are we thinking about having just like a ton of different wrappers? Or are we really trying to focus on like let's find the best like two or three wrappers and only have those? Because I can see advantages. My, yeah. Yeah, I can see advantages to both sides, but I would sort of lean towards the many wrappers.
0: It feels to me like the wrapper is an interesting and useful primitive that adds efficiency to the dev pool, provided we have a a strong sort of quantitative model of the the implications of adding any new wrapper. Right, so as long as we can we can really reason. Um, Comfortably about what those implications are, I would say wrappers in principle as part of the the kind of loans or you know, whatever you want to call it um, different you know synthetic instruments that we offer. Uh, I think just feel like an interesting and useful primitive. You know, provided we do the same level of assessment of you know each of them that we would do for enabling shorting or enabling borrowing against it as collateral or you know, anything else like that. I think as long as we're comfortable with the assets. Uh, risk parameters. Then I don't see any reason why, you know, introducing
1: uh, a wrapper with a, a reasonable open interest cap is is a bad idea. Okay, that makes like sense. Like a, a ren, like a,
0: a ren BTC wrapper, for example, right? Like, uh, you know, it feels like that's a useful a useful tool that. If if the ETH wrapper is useful, then a Ren wrapper needs to also be useful, right? It, would, it doesn't make sense to me that one one is useful and the other one is not
1: um, to happen in the system, at least from from my perspective.
2: Yeah, I I agree. I think it's definitely good from a diversification perspective to have hundred like, percent. Our protocol should have a variety of collateral. Um, if we're taking on the delta between our collateral and the sense, we want to have something that's not going to go to zero overnight, and something that Agreed. hopefully is not super um, tilted in one direction in terms of beta to the market versus our sense. Um, but that might be a current, yeah, I
0: totally agree. Totally. Well, I mean, I think it. I think you know when. When you've got these highly correlated assets like, you know, you know, BTC and ETH and those are the only ones that you're wrapping and link, like, yes, I think once you're wrapping uh, things like stable coins or, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know what other uh, things, there's nothing that immediately comes out, jumps out at me. But like, once you're wrapping stable coins that are offsetting uh, that impact, of the debt pool, then it feels like you have a much more balanced uh, approach and, and a much more efficient Uh, system in the sense that like the external market you know can can take those
1: uh, sort of price signals and and incorporate them into the debt pool uh, more efficiently yeah
3: I've also wondered if maybe when we have a lot of wrappers like that we could we could incentivize certain wrappers that that we want to neutralize Uh risk and stuff like that just give us uh, a levers you are you're gonna trigger
0: screak here. <laughs> <laughs> no,
3: no comment. Yeah, I
0: agree. I, I tend please. to agree. I think I think you know more more levers the better, provided we fully understand the implications of them. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think uh I'm happy to take on uh the the process of uh getting at least the S link. Um wrapper done um but let's let's wait until you guys have your quantitative model um locked down and then we can incorporate that into the sip uh, and maybe even backfill it into the the original ETH wrapper sip as well
1: um just like a, a you know an additional uh, uh, process that we need to add for each of those assets that we've we've done an analysis of, yeah, sure, okay
0: um yeah that's that's all i've got for now um i would also on top of uh on top of that like um that quantitative model within the debt pool i would like to see someone uh have some kind of model uh reasoning about the implications of the various uh curve pools and and how they interact um it would be helpful so if you guys are doing that analysis as well which it seems like you might be um I
1: think we can put that all together into a single uh, single model. But I think that's something that's definitely missing at the moment. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. I am I am we'll, we'll try to get it pretty soon. Okay, cool. All right. Well then yeah, let's uh let's see let's see where we go from here. Cool. Thanks, guys. That's good. All right, thanks. thanks. Good discussion. Talk soon. Yeah, thank yep. you. See ya. Um. See ya.